We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Truth Perspective. It is March 28th. I am Harrison Cayley, and in the studio we have... Elon Martin. Karen. And Tiffany. Tiff, joining us from the Health and Wellness Show for this edition of The Truth Perspective. And we've got a special show today. Yes, we do. Uh, this week on The Truth Perspective, we're happy to have as our guest Fernando Forfall Aguirre. Fernando was a first-hand witness to the many tumultuous changes that occurred in the early 2000s when Argentina saw a collapse in its economy. Finding himself under a whole new and dangerous set of circumstances, he had to find new approaches to the challenges of daily living, providing for his family and keeping them in safety. Out of his experiences, Fernando was inspired to write a book about it, which is called The Modern Survival Manual, surviving the economic collapse. And it's an account of a number of experiences he's had, his observations of that time and place, and the insights that he came to from them. Fernando also has a blog called Survival in Argentina, where he regularly posts information about what he sees happening in the world, as well as survival tips and reviews of products. Welcome, Fernando. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, and it's great to be here with you guys as well. Hi, thanks for coming on. Uh, starting off, uh, could you tell us about the events that transpired when you were living in Argentina in the early 2000s and what led to the economic collapse there? Sure. Well, I lived in Argentina pretty much most of my life, right? And back then, we were talking about year 2001, about December 2001, is when everything really went down. But uh, what we have seen uh, until then was a period of of time in which the local currency was uh, artificially pegged to the U.S. dollar. And that basically caused uh, several problems, including uh, the local production of uh, pretty much uh, anything in terms of local industry being extremely expensive. And this had a, a huge impact in national industry. It was uh, pretty much decimated by then. Little by little, debt kept on growing. We saw lots of unemployment until it really was skyrocketing. And eventually the country ended up defaulting on its national debt. Um, and at that point, bank accounts were frozen. The savings were converted to a, to a, to a new devaluated peso, and people pretty much lost 70, 75% of their savings in wow. that transaction. So it was a period of, you know, of course, people were not happy with all of this, especially mm-hmm. with the bank accounts being frozen and people not being access, not being able to access their own money. So you saw lots of uh, rioting on the streets and, of course, inflation uh, going out of control. And uh, it was a pretty complicated period of time. Hmm. So uh, it sounds like 
quite a shock was experienced by a number of people there, um, probably by yourself too. Um, what what were the reactions that people experienced? How did how did they respond on a emotional psychological level to all of these changes that occurred at the time? Well, you know, the, the more I travel and, and talk with folks from different places, you know, I was just talking with, with some people here local in, in in Ireland and people from from England, South Africans. We are we have our differences, but we're not really that different. You, you can expect the same. Imagine how it would be wherever it is that you are if all of a sudden people were told you no longer have access to your money. It's it's no longer yours. <laughs> all that you've been working for, uh, we're just going to be giving you a hundred bucks a month or a hundred bucks a, a week to to buy groceries, and, and that's going to be it. Uh, people were very upset. Were very very angry. I mean, these were uh, these are the same banks that operate pretty much everywhere. I mean, these are these weren't some uh, unheard of uh, banks uh, local only to Argentina. These were banks. Uh, the same ones that operate in, in Wall Street. So all of a sudden being told that you cannot control your money anymore, and while at the same time uh, you see inflation uh, skyrocketing, it's, um, you have people rioting on the streets, uh, roadblocks, <laughs> stores being burned down. It's uh, pretty anarchic. Well, before all of this happened, were you aware of any warning signs? Was anybody sounding the alarm? Did anybody predict this? Uh, this uh, economic collapse would happen, or what did you see that alerted you, or were you just taken completely off guard? You know, uh, my mother-in-law usually will will tell the story how she went and talked to the bank manager pretty much the day before all this happened and asked about, you know, some of the rumors that some people, some of the street gossip that we were always told never to pay attention to. So she went and talked directly with with her branch manager, and she said not to worry about a thing that's it's all nonsense. <laughs> Nothing's going to be happening. The following day, they just closed their doors, and uh, everything went down like that. You you did hear, uh, as I was saying, just you know, sometimes there was a little bit of a, of a rumor. Um, people that worked in, in the bank uh, in the banking industry were a little bit more aware of, but mostly on a higher uh, on a higher level. Uh, many of them were, you know, just. Uh, you did notice, for example, that there was a, a lack of, of greenbacks in terms of cash. You went to the bank, and uh, actually, this is some, some, something that happened to me. I went to the bank with uh, with my mother and my sister, so as to uh, just close a couple of the accounts that we had because of some of the things we've heard. And, and they didn't have a thousand bucks in the bank. Huh. And that was. That was a, a real wake-up call. So we hurried and closed the, the accounts. And the following day, I mean, it was just like that. The following day, you, you couldn't get any, any money at all out of the bank anymore. So, uh, Fernando, um, from the first point when the financial collapse began, um, people weren't aware of it until the, the banks froze up. Is that is that correct? And to what to how many days or or minutes did they come to full impact realization throughout you know the population when when it ha- no there, there was of course there's never a warning regarding this they're never going to be telling you next week we're going to be closing everyone right. right. we're going to be freezing everyone's accounts there, there's no wrong, i mean they actually deny that the minister of economy comes out and and denies it you know just hours before actually doing it 
And I've noticed this happens in, in, in many other aspects all around the world. So there wasn't any, any warning regarding that. Uh, when it happened, of course, it was, you know, the, the, the main news. Uh, and, and in a matter of minutes, the word had spread. Everyone knew that was happening. So people rushed to the ATMs to get money out, whatever they could. And what they did was this. They, they basically allowed you to get, uh, I think it was like 300 pesos back in the day, which it, it would be like after the devaluation would be about $100 <laughs> per week. So as to get out of, the, of, of your bank account in cash. So it, it, was, uh, it was pretty much a, a daily task to see where you found a, an ATM with money with some mm. cash in it. Because wow. even though they did allow you to use your, your debit cards, most stores were not accepting you either because of all this instability. Everyone wanted cash, not, not uh, debit payments. Mm -hmm. So even though in theory you could use it, no one was taking it, especially for gas and that sort of thing. You really needed cash. So for you personally, and I'm assuming your family did – did it hit you guys just as just as much as it did everyone else, or did you have some sort of preparedness knowledge beforehand? Well, both my parents are are accountants and have worked in in the bank industry before, so they sort of saw this coming to some extent. They they had my father was actually already living abroad, so we were a little bit better prepared, I guess, than the average person, but. Other than that, all the problems that came along, because you have to realize this is just the, the beginning of it. This is the, mm -hmm. the first initial stage, and it's not even some of the worst things that happen. I mean, all this triggers an entire change of, of, of lifestyle in your country that affects pretty much all aspects of life. So mm -hmm. as for the rest of it, we were just in, in the middle of it like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Something that you mentioned in your book um, is cash is king, uh, sure. and, that, and that's even when the cash isn't worth so much. It seems that uh, folks are still, you know, holding on to or, or using whatever is perceived as to have some value. Right. Um, so uh, that, that's basically all you had to to work with at the time. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, I know it sounds kind of ironic because on one hand I'm saying that you the the currency is being devaluated and losing value uh, by the hour but on the other hand there's really so little cash going around that it's the only way in which you can actually uh, end up uh, making business right so on one hand it's pretty much melting that's one of the best ways of describing it it's melting in your pocket along with inflation but on the other hand what other resources do you have Yes, some people ended up bartering in the end, at the end, but it, it was never as good as actually having some cash. So to some extent, even in spite of the inflation, you could haggle and negotiate a little bit, given that you did have a, a thousand bucks in your pocket, so you could you know work a little bit me, uh, better to get a little bit of a of a better deal. Especially if you had uh, if you had U.S. dollars. Dollars were the the real in terms of, of cash is king. The dollars were the true king because. Those were the ones that were not losing a value as the local currency, the peso. Can you describe uh, what it was like, like set the scene maybe, like day-to-day -day living? You said like you could have $1,000 in, 
in your pocket, and that would give you some leverage you could haggle. How did the prices go up on like everyday goods? Um, I I remember, for example, a, a little box of cornflakes, not not the larger ones that you guys have in U.S., but one of those little pitiful boxes of cornflakes were. At some point, it was like five dollars, five U.S. dollars a, a box of cornflakes, one of the smallest ones, and you would just you know <laughs> just stare at it in, in disbelief. So you had all these crazy prices just uh, going out of uh, out of proportion sometimes. Uh, the, the prices were changing um, by the minute. I, I literally picked up stuff in a grocery store, in a hardware store, and by the time I got to the cash register, it had you know double, triple in price. Mm-hmm. And you would have to go wow. and say, "Look, I picked it up." I, I, actually, it happened to me with with one with a drill. Uh, I remember that I picked it up at say you know thirty four dollars, and by the time I got to the cash register, it had like double or triple in price. And I told the, the the lady there, you know, I just picked it up at at thirty four bucks. How is this possible? So we went back to where I had picked it up, and you could see the stickers of the prices because they were changing so fast. They just just paste one on top of the other. So we removed some of the older ones from that same day, and I I showed her the price. You know, this is what I picked it up at. So that's just a, a little story of. Uh, it was a matter of constantly chain, uh, checking your your currency, how much it was worth. Uh, if you had uh, dollars, that gave you, uh, as we were talking before, more leverage. You could, uh, for example, if you were buying uh, a, a larger, uh, a bigger price tag item, you could uh, negotiate a little bit more. But on, on daily, uh, on your daily life, for example, you would get up. Go to work or school or whatever it is that you had to do in your life as always. But then again, you had to worry about a few more things. You had to worry about making sure you weren't coming across any roadblocks, any protests on the streets, because all these things started happening on on, on daily basis. The, the rioting, the the protests on the streets. Whenever anyone anyone wanted to grab the attention of the government or or the media, they just blocked the street and started protesting right there. So. Uh, you had to check that when moving around. You also had to worry about finding cash. So you paid special attention to any rumors of uh, any ATM that you knew had a little bit more cash. Uh, if a neighbor, a friend told you about, yeah, they have cash over at, you know, the Walmart, wherever, uh, the ATM over there, they usually have cash. So maybe you would go there. And if not, you just waited four hours in line in, in your bank and, and get whatever they were allowing you to get that day. So, and besides this, finding a, a store, a supermarket to make your purchases, maybe one that was taking debit cards, which meant you, you saved on your cash. You didn't have to spend your cash there if you were able to find that. And at the same time, many, many supermarkets were getting looted because people were actually, if you combine all this mess with the unemployment of 25%, you can imagine how desperate a lot of people were. Honestly, a lot of people very hungry and, and desperate. So how do, how do they combat panic? I mean, we've heard about normalcy bias, and there's been a lot about that, um, of people not reacting when something tragic is happening. But what about panic? Well, the, that would be one of the things in, in which you didn't have much of an option. I mean, if if you didn't have a job, you didn't have any money. And this is, you know... 
it's not as in some other places where the government will uh, will give you stuff for free. I mean, in Argentina, especially back in, in those in those times, there weren't any handouts, there weren't any uh, any benefits. People just went hungry, and when you have a mass of people that are hungry enough, they will loot a supermarket. So you would be at a store, and all of a sudden you see a crowd of folks demanding uh, that food be uh, turned in, and sometimes the, the managers would just do that. They would just leave the food for people to take and maybe spare the, the place from, re, from being uh, sacked. So, you know, they just got by anyway. And, and then you had people that plain just ate out of the garbage. You know, they would just start roaming on the streets and picking whatever they found in, in trash cans and such. It was a, a pretty desperate time. In many ways, still is. I think one of the things I most appreciated about your book, uh, Fernando, is um, the kind of way you um, convey the information. It's sort of like a, a friend telling another friend, "Look, this is this is the deal. Uh, this is this is actually what happens," and uh, the, the language is uh, pretty informal and matter of fact, um, and a large part of it is. Um, getting your head around these things, getting your head around uh, adapting uh, to the changes that, that completely uh, affect your, your life and your world on an hourly basis, it seems. Um, one of the things you said was that, um, you know, you spoke about learning, adapting, and molding ourselves into more capable people. And I was wondering uh, if you could speak a little bit about what that meant for you um, in terms of um, adapting to the changes that you saw? Well, in, in many ways, it was realizing that uh, you just had to do whatever it is that was within your possibilities, especially in terms of, of employment. You just got whatever it is that you could. I mean, if you could work for a, for a relative, uh, your family, a friend, someone that gave you any job, you just you just hold on to it because there's no, you know, beggars can be cho uh, can be chooser or something along those lines. I think mm -hmm. the saying goes, yep. uh, you just did whatever it is that you could. I mean, I, I know of, you know, lawyers or accountants that would end up, you know, driving around people for like, like a taxi uh, or maybe uh, is, is selling products in a, in one of these markets or bartering stuff um, psychologists, uh, offering sessions uh, in in barter clubs for food and clothing, those are things that have happened, you know, and happened quite a bit. So you just did whatever it is that you could. Then, at least personally, one of the things I guess that I I was most worried about was in terms of of security. I I was always interested in in survival preparedness, you know, from an early age, but more of the wilderness survival stuff that we usually still see, you know, the idea of backpacking, camping, and all that interesting bushcrafting stuff. But on the on the ground level, on the situation that we were dealt with there in Argentina, it was basically about staying safe. And, and for me, that was one of the, the main priorities, improving the, the safety in, in my house on a personal level, and knowing how to defend myself, knowing how to protect my family, including all those safety habits, 
making the security of, of my house much better than, than it was before. Those are things that you, you, you sort of learn along the way and you took training for that. You could look for information and many of those things you ended up doing yourself, such as installing your own alarm system. Those were things that you you learned on the go, so to speak. So, Fernando, I read on your, your blog uh, this morning, you were talking about um, golden hordes pouring out of the city. <laughs> right. uh, and you asked the question, when did this happen in real life? And that there's professional research that showed that this was the opposite. Because it sounds like you and a lot of people that you knew hunkered down in the city. You didn't go off into the wilderness to practice your bushcraft skills. So can you talk a little bit more about the whole idea that people are going to flood outside of the cities when an economic yeah, collapse happens? I, I think it's, it's, it's cute to a level. I mean, um, it's one of those uh, popular things, and if someone started it at some point and repeated it, and maybe Hollywood thought it would be making great films, you know, about this idea of all the... Refu- and when you actually do this seriously, when you study things, you, you realize that people don't do that. I mean, the, it didn't happen in Argentina. It didn't happen in the United States during the Great Depression. And it pre- basically never happened anywhere. This idea that for, especially when it's a, an economic crisis or, 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 or a financial disaster, why would people leave the place where there's the best chance of getting a job? You're basically desperate for safety and money. That's, those are the things that, that you need. And it doesn't matter if it's in Argentina. It doesn't matter if it's in eastern Ukraine right now. I correspond with people in eastern Ukraine that have escaped some of um, some of the eastern cities. They don't move to the middle of the country and start uh, a garden or start growing their own food. I mean, that that's all fantastic. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But people escaping war, they go they go to a place where they have housing, employment, and safety, which mm-hmm. makes all the sense in the world. During the Great Depression, if you lost your farm to the bank, which thousands of people in the United States ended up seeing and suffering that firsthand, they ended up moving to these places where they had more jobs, they had better chances for their kids and themselves. You basically look for security, work. Why would you just run out like like a madman on the highway and run to the country doing exactly what? There's no logic in that. And when you look at it and you study it, it really never happened. I mean, the last golden whore that actually existed was uh, Genghis Khan in, in <laughs> God knows when. But on, on realistic terms, that's what people end up doing. Well, there are a lot, like you mentioned, there are a lot of different types of preparedness and survivalism. You've got your people doing the, the, the outdoors kind of stuff, and then you've got your apocalypse preppers, and but right. your book, um, it's and and a lot of things you talk about. It's about this specific situation, economic collapse. So I'm wondering if we can get into some of the specifics of the different things that that people need to do in order to prepare for a similar situation in their country. Because like we've seen, it can it can just pop up um, like in a day, and you saw that in Argentina, and we see we're seeing that happen in Ukraine, um, in East Ukraine, and even just the um, the economy in Ukraine in general right now is in a pretty deplorable state. So can you list some of the just the main um, main areas that people should be looking at if they want to prepare for something like this? 
Sure. Yeah. Well, there's before I, I say anything else, there's really nothing wrong with, with a, what is a, mostly considered wilderness survival, which mm-hmm. is what a lot of people end up uh, trying to adapt and this uh, this idea of bugging out uh, and not bugging out as maybe as I ended up doing or like people escaping war end up doing or or you know millions of, of refugees have been forced to do. But this idea of bugging out meaning I grab a, a bag with a tent and a sleeping bag and I head to the nearest national park. That really doesn't solve anything at all. My, my advice for people that want to be ready for something like this, or at least something what, I, what I've gone through, would be just a, a sensible approach to things. First of all, you have to worry about the basics that you know you're going to be needing no matter what. And here I'm talking specifically about food, water, means uh, of, 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 uh, of uh, protecting yourself, you know, having a firearm, which in the United States it is, it is a, a right, a possibility, and I think you should take advantage of that. Because when, uh, when you do need it, when um, unfortunately, if that moment ever comes, you don't have time to improvise that. You need to have uh, a firearm for self-defense at the very least. But these are mostly things that you're going to be needing no matter what. If it's a, a, a storm, if it's um, a blackout, you need to have ways of, of, of staying warm in your house, staying fed, have a, a, a water that's a, ready to be consumed. Same with a, medicines that you may be needing for any, any specific medical issue that you have. Those are the standards that you need. Now, Advancing a little bit on that, what happens when you have other type of disasters, other type of problems like what we saw in Argentina? Well, of course, money is a huge asset. So instead of buying stuff that maybe you don't really need and you're fantasizing of, well, I need this piece of gear because if this or that happens, instead of going for that, start having savings, real savings, okay? And there's also a good point for having precious metals. I think that for, especially for an economic collapse where the fiat currency loses value to a great extent, precious metals is one of the best things to have, no doubt about that. So savings in cash, savings in the bank, savings in precious metals. These are the things that when most common disasters happen, guys, here I'm talking about things that it could be anything from a, a personal financial disaster. Mm-hmm. You lost your job. You're not finding one. You got hurt. You, cannot, you can no longer work. Or you have to go without working for a few months. What is it that you're going to be needing? Money. <laughs> Money is the thing that gets most of us out of, our, our, um, out of the problems that were very likely to happen. Right? And in a, in a case in which you have to leave wherever is it is that you are, like in the case of Ukraine, Again, money is one of the strongest assets they have. Uh, Fernando, you mentioned money and also precious metals, and it's a good idea to have gold and silver. Did you see that during the economic collapse in Argentina, were people actually using gold and silver and other precious metals to actually purchase things? Yes. How did that work? Uh, absolutely, and, and that's why that's why I'm recommend anything that I that I uh, that I recommend. It's it's because I. I, I know that it has worked in the past for others. I've seen it worked uh, myself. In the case of Argentina, the, the gold business, the buying and selling of gold, went up uh, 500% in just 
in just the first few years of the crisis. It also became a very interesting, something of huge interest for for criminals as well. You could <laughs> basically you couldn't go around Buenos Aires or pretty much anywhere in Argentina with with anything that was made of gold, gold jewelry. I mean, I I changed my my wedding band, my wedding ring, for a silver one while I lived in Argentina because you just couldn't safely use it on the streets anymore. <laughs> So criminals were definitely looking for gold. People desperate that didn't have any money left, the thing they sold, gold. Gold was the thing that, uh, you know, when you didn't have anything else, that's what you sold so as to put food on the table. And uh, also, uh, looking at a little bit of my, of my family, I have uh, on my wife's side, I actually have a, a piece of, of gold jewelry that uh, my, my wife's uh, uh, grandparents sold during the war in Europe just to put food on the table, uh, put a foot on the, on the table as well. They would sell a, a few links at a time of gold, so as to buy food. Hmm. Well, you mentioned the the criminal the, the criminal element uh, in your book. You describe there uh, a big upswing in violent crime. Could you talk a little bit of more a bit sorry a little bit more about um, just that general general situation? What it looked like, um, just the crime element. Right. Crime, you know, in in South America, crime is, you know, has always been a, a thing to some extent. It was it was never as bad as it as it became soon after the the economic collapse. I mean, we've always had crime, but it was one of those things that just happened pretty much like in anywhere else, right? Or like you would say, in any big city, there's crime. So yes, in Buenos Aires, there's crime as well. Now the thing is that we saw a, a huge um, increase in crime in just a matter of months. Uh, again, it has a lot to do with this uh, with this thing of people being desperate. And when people are desperate, they start doing desperate things. We saw a, a huge increase in, in kidnapping, which basically hadn't existed before. That was the kind of thing that happened in, in, in Colombia or somewhere else in Central America, more dangerous, but it didn't happen in Argentina. All of a sudden, people were being kidnapped left and right and, you know, even for kids, it was very dangerous. Um, kids were being kidnapped because of the school uniform they were wearing. If they had a, a school uniform of a, of, a, of a more expensive private school, mm-hmm. you know, actually for some time, many of these schools it told their pupils not to wear the uniform anymore because of, of this uniform alone being enough so as to get you kidnapped. And... Then you have the, the level of violence. I, I think that it has, to be, it has a lot to do with the frustration and the desperation of criminals and even the hate, you know, those that have uh, from the have-nots. That was a, clearly one of those points because in many cases people were, were being killed even after giving up everything they had. Mm-hmm. So you give them your, your wallet, your cell phone, your car keys, and they still shoot you for nothing, mm-hmm. you know. So it, we, one of the things that you heard on the street was, in the old days, you would just give up your wallet and that was that. Now, even if you do that, they, they still kill you. So you have to do something about it. You cannot just say, okay, just take the money and, and, and go. That didn't work anymore, at least not as well as it used to. What about organized crime? I mean, we've heard Dmitry Orlov talk about the, you know, the situation in Russia and how when, a, when an economy in certain countries uh, tanks, the uh, kind of criminal uh, 
organized crime element kind of takes control, and so there's bribes that have to be paid and uh, money for protection, basically. Did you see anything like that? Or And if not, can you talk a bit about it maybe in other countries? Yes. Well, corruption would be one of the things that always existed in Argentina, but like everywhere, like everything else, it got worse after a crisis. And eventually, five, five, six, seven, ten years after it, in 2001, it's it got completely out of control. I mean, right now, Argentina is, I think it's a, one of the most corrupt countries according to Transparency International. It's it's extremely corrupt. Anything that you have to do in terms of of dealing with the government, you have to be ready to to uh, pay off someone. And I mean, uh, companies that still operate in Argentina, they have a budget specifically for bribes. Mm-hmm. And this has been discovered in, in some of the uh, bigger, more important companies that are more organized. They actually have a, a budget for bribes in the country. Oh. And then on, on a street level, pretty much any dealing with uh, with um, government officials, it, it, it's pretty much unavoidable. Now, in terms of organized crime, in terms of um, of criminal gangs, that you saw it as well. You saw a huge increase in in how well they were being organized, how they used uh, maybe uh, police uniforms, uh, how they did intel much better than before. And you would easily find gangs of uh, 5, 10, even 15 uh, members that were very well organized and did uh, commando-type uh, attacks where they would have uh, people outside, someone going inside, in many cases, uh, also being honest, it was uh, police being involved. They were doing these uh, these things as an after-office type of activity mm-hmm. that's to supplement their budget. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that was very concerning because these are guys that have a lot of training and, and they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. On that subject, um, something which you say in uh, one of your recent... Um, blog videos, uh, The Problem with Preppers. And uh, by the way, folks, uh, if you go onto his, uh, for Fernando's blog, for fall.blogspot.com, uh, it's a really interesting video and analysis of the different types of prepper mentalities and, uh, and, their, and their, um, their kind of blindnesses and biases. Um, but like one of the things you mention is that some of these preppers, um, all they focus on is guns so (laughs) so they're not really going to uh you know store food or or um or get supplies or or think in any of those terms but they're just going to go out with their guns and uh basically attack people who do have uh stuff yeah that's something that you my point there was trying to explain that if someone says i'm a prepper it doesn't really mean anything because yeah, I, I consider myself, if I had to define myself somehow, a, a survivalist with a with a modern survival approach to things, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, someone else says, "Yeah, I'm a prepper," so we're basically the same thing. Yeah, I don't know what is it that you do, and I'll tell you what I do, and maybe we do have things in common. But uh, just having guns is not the only thing that I that I worry about. Just having food is not the only thing that I worry about either. Um, you know, so eventually uh, you realize that this is something that affects all your life decisions. I mean, I, I live where I live 
because it's it's safe, because it has good education for my kids, has good standards of living. Uh, there's pretty much n not a chance of a flood here where I live. And these are not all accidental. These are things I looked into before actually doing them. I mean, everything um, that I end up doing is uh, keeping in mind what could be the worst possible outcome if things don't turn out well. So uh, the approach that I have is definitely different from someone that is just worried about having a ton of guns or having a ton of food or maybe driving a big uh, off-road vehicle because that's the thing that he enjoys doing. Mm -hmm. you know? And many times you see this, uh, and it's not you know, just uh, being mean or anything, but sometimes you see folks that are uh, calling themselves uh, a prepper or a survivalist, and they have guns, they go shooting, and then you look at them and you realize that they're not uh, taking care of themselves nearly as well as they could. I'm no athlete myself, but uh, a person that has a uh, hundred pounds of of overweight problems, and he should be dealing with that. That should be his main focus, because from all practical perspective, the, the thing that's most likely to kill him to affect his life is his um, his health. You know, if you're not taking care of that first, then you're completely blind to what is, uh, by all means, your main, your uh, most important uh, risk factor. And you see this a lot. Well, you meant okay. So health, I uh, I agree that that's probably the first thing that anyone can look at if they if they haven't even started looking into these kinds of things. But um, you've mentioned you mentioned the basics like shelter, uh, supplies, food, water. Um, what about? Things like you also mentioned just just now uh, transportation. What are some of the things that people a bit more um, that maybe put a bit more thought into it should should think about? Like maybe some um, some specific supplies or things that they should think sure. about looking at. Sure. First of all, if we if we one of the things one of my videos in in YouTube in my channel I, I talk about the, the circles of preparedness and I. I, I use that as a way of, of analyzing what's more important and then expanding on that. First of all, the first circle would be in, in your head, the mindset that you have. What is it that you're going to be uh, doing in terms of preparedness? What is it that you want? Do you just want to be ready for, for an earthquake because you live in a place that's prone to that? Are you looking to uh, have a, a certain mindset as in a, a general attitude towards life and problems in general? So the first circle would be mindset, all right? Now, when you expand that circle a little bit and you start including your entire body, you start looking at, okay, am I in proper physical shape? I mean, could I carry someone if a family member of mine is hurt? Or am I going to be worrying about zombies when in reality my blood pressure is going to be killing me before anything else? <laughs> you know? And this is, you know, it sounds a little bit ironic, but one of the things that ended up killing the most people during the economic crisis was stress. Mm -hmm. You know, these folks, and I'm including myself in this group, uh, the stress that you go through when something like this happens, that's via a large margin uh, the thing that kills the most people. It's not even the bullets of the criminals, and it's not even starving to death. It's the, the tension, the anguish of, of not being able to put food on the table, of not providing for your family. So taking care of yourself, it's not just about uh, going to uh, CrossFit and uh, pumping iron all day long. It's about uh, 
you know, managing your stress level as well, working out, being in good shape, not having a, a ton of, uh, of weight on you and being in, in, a, in a good weight margin. So that would be the, the first thing that I, I start with. And as you start working, you start adding other things, such as, as you were mentioning, food, water, having other supplies, having flashlights, you know, the typical stuff that you always see in terms of uh, a survival emergency kit kept at home, ways of, of transportation in case you have to leave wherever it is that you are. In terms of shelter, I, I wouldn't, you know, focus only on having a tent or sleeping bag. Those things have a, a reason and a purpose, especially for some people that may have to use it for some time. But actually, more important than that is having a, an idea of where is it that you're going to be going. If I, if I could no longer stay in my house where I am right now, where would I be going? I wouldn't be going to the woods and live in a tent for the rest of my life or for, for a few months even. I would go to maybe to my folks' house, maybe to my brother's house, my sister, a friend nearby. I'm just back from my, from my neighbor that's like a, 30 meters away from me. Those are the kind of relationships that you have to build up because that's the people that are going to be helping you when things go wrong. Well, no? speaking of relationships, you'd mentioned something about, you know, uh, preppers all thinking that they're all alike, they're like-minded, and you can rely on these people. But you said to prepare to be disappointed the majority of the time and that people will let you down. Can you talk about um, how people got together or didn't get together during this economic collapse and help each other out? Sure. Um, I say nine out of ten times people will let you down because many times people either have good intentions, but when when the moment comes, unfortunately for one reason or the other, either they maybe they weren't even honest in the first place, maybe they have other problems, and suddenly when forced with a decision of helping you or maybe helping themselves, because when these kind of things happen, everyone is in a tough position. So many times that the good intentions. Is suddenly changed because uh, they compute other things as well that they weren't taking they weren't uh, taking into account before. Uh, sometimes m- maybe people don't even have the ability of helping you anymore. You know, or, for example, in terms of uh, of crime, when, when crime is as bad as it is in Argentina, sometimes it comes down to a friend showing up to your door when you when you call them and you say, you know, someone is trying to break into my house. There's not a lot of people that will show up with a gun and help you out during a time like that. Mm-hmm. Some people will, but it's safe to say that most folks won't. So if you, if you have a friend that is, that is grabbing a gun and coming to your help, that's a, a special kind of friend. Uh, at least in my experience, it's not the most likely one that you will come across. So mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try, right? All these relationships, that, that only means that you should try more and have more friends and have more people around you. Because that way, you will end up coming across these true friends, these these people in your life that you can really depend on when the time comes. You know, sometimes it's uh, it's a matter of uh, of being a, a good person to the, the people around you, your neighbors. The first thing that I did when when I moved here, where I live now, is you know when when I talk with my neighbors, is you know if you need anything, just just let me know. The lady across my street, she she's an older lady, she's a widower. And I told her, it doesn't matter if it's 3 a.m. If, if there's any problem, you, you just let me know and I'll, I'll do my best to help you out. And, you know, I was talking with her the other day and she said, you know, it, it makes me feel well that you are here, that I know you're across the street. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's not about 
any interest. I, I don't. I don't want anything from her. But it's just about being a good person as well. That's uh, that's also th- something that's important. It's not always about what I can get in exchange uh, for being a good person. Uh, Fernando, what happened to uh, mortgages or renters uh, in Argentina when the crisis broke? Um, did the did the banks? You know, move on this, or were people, you know, still trying to 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 pay their monthly bills? People were. It depended on each individual case. Okay, there there were some uh, emergency laws and decrees and health packages passed, but really didn't help much at all. It was uh, limited to a very small um, number of people, basically because. It, I think, it was houses uh, priced under a hundred thousand pesos, which was, you know, like thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars, and even then, it was just giving them a little bit more time to pay back, uh, or a little bit more time so as to uh, pay their mortgages. Which, when people don't have money, even if you give them more time, they're not going to be paying. So it, it really didn't help much. On the other hand. Uh, mortgages and, and, and loans and house loans and such were not nearly as popular as they are in the United States. Uh, in Argentina, for quite some time, you just bought it when, when you actually had the money, not because you got a loan from the bank. So there weren't as many cases, but people, for one reason or the other, um, ended up losing their houses as well in many cases, uh, be, either because they couldn't pay rent anymore. A lot of people that were renting Suddenly, they just didn't have the money anymore, so they have to move back with, with their parents, with their folks. And they were living, you know, the, the famous living in your mom's basement thing. Well, mm-hmm. a lot of people ended up doing just that. I mean, even in, in their kitchen, if they didn't have any place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, a, a lot of people did end up losing their houses, although it, it could have been much, much worse if there had been a, a, already a, a bigger a segment of, of folks uh, with mortgages. Okay. Thank you. Well, coming back to the relationships and the networking, um, so yeah, of course, it's a it's a good idea. It's just common sense, really, to to be a good neighbor. But on the other hand, like you said, uh, people will let you down. So, is there a limit to how much you uh, share with people, or um, like about what you're doing, or you know, if you're preparing for for something? Like, how much do you kind of keep to yourself, and how much do you share? Or how do you choose who to like let in on your plans? Um, like, you know, if something happens, yeah. can we go to a, can we go to your place, kind of thing? Right. Yeah, I, I think you have to take it little by little. You know, if you go out there and, and say I'm a survivalist, <laughs> maybe you're going to be scaring a lot yeah. more people than anything else. Yeah. I, I think it's like like it, like anything else in life. It, it's just a, a matter of of common sense and. Little by little, see how uh, how the relationship develops. Uh, I wouldn't be very open about sharing, you know, how much food you have, or if you have guns, or how much you how how much guns you have. Uh, then try to find common ground. One of the best uh, things for me was in in my gun club where I took my my classes and training and such. Uh, that was of course a, a natural place for like-minded people. <laughs> Again, that. That like-minded people. Again, at least that was a point of uh, of connection, right? At least everyone there liked like guns and was training and was was taking it seriously. So, uh, understandably so, you could find more more folks that uh, agreed on th- on certain things and were basically looking for the same. So, I would suggest uh, trying to find 
these places where you can find some, some common ground and start uh, developing the relationship from there, but being very cautious about what you say and also the way you say. Little by little, you start seeing where um, the other person is and if you have things in common or not. So uh, you talked a bit about um, the high level of crime that kind of uh, burst forth at the time, and that must have changed um, your approach to just walking in the street and uh, and taking care of things in general every time you had to leave your home or even when you were in your home. Uh, and actually, you, you did devote a, a good part of the book to uh, to those types of subjects. Uh, can you give some idea as to how much um, focus and awareness um, and and to what types of things you were uh, paying attention to uh, when you realized that the situation had become so much more dangerous? It was basically about knowing how to defend yourself in terms of knowing how to use a firearm. It's not just about going out there and buying a gun. I mean, anyone can go and buy a gun. Uh, and that's great. I mean, the, the gun you actually need it for is uh, so to defend yourself in, in those extreme cases, correct? But it's also about knowing how to use it. If, if not, I usually say it's like buying a car and not knowing how to drive it. I can go and buy the, the, the nicest car there is. If I don't know how to drive it, then it's not going to be doing me any good. And with a firearm, it's the same thing or maybe even worse because it can be quite dangerous if you don't know. So... I, I had already fortunately taken uh, some classes when I was uh, about 14, 15 years old because I, I was very much involved in, in, in shooting. I liked it. But uh, I just took it a step further and started training even more, taking more classes. Uh, and this helped so as to meet other people that were also interested in it and, and you know, making good friends. But basically, it came down to that, to being being armed, being uh, aware of your surroundings. Uh, also, and maybe more important, is avoiding risks. You know, if you avoid risks uh, to a great extent, uh, then the chances of you even needing to use any of this are significantly reduced. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't go to silly places and mess with, with dangerous people, um, you are going to be avoiding this to a great extent. But... The thing is this, in a place like like Argentina, where crime is so high, there's really no place in which you can really say, uh, I'm going to be safe. I mean, it can be uh, noon, you know, 1230 in the, in the middle of the day, you're picking a, 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 your kid from school, you're walking back home, and, and you get a, a gun stick to your face. It's that kind of thing. In, in broad daylight in the middle of the day, uh, with people all, all around you, they just don't care. So... Even then, you have to be careful. It's, of course, less likely than maybe at 4 in the afternoon when there's less people on the streets. You know, my wife, for example, she would be very careful about uh, avoiding places where there was uh, not a lot of, uh, of, uh, po- uh, of people in the streets. Maybe just uh, take, a, take a cab or, a, or get, get a car so as to go somewhere and not walk even though it was a, a nice day and, you know, maybe you were tempted to walk for... Um, you know, maybe going to one of the stores uh, just 10 blocks away, uh, a nice uh, spring afternoon, a normal person would be walking, and that's what you would be doing in a, in a safe country, in a normal country. Over there, no. That wasn't... And all these things restrict your freedom quite a bit. So it's about trying to avoid 
the, the potential dangers, but also about being uh, trained and knowing how to defend yourself if it comes down to that. Mm-hmm. So you you grew up in Argentina and you eventually moved to Ireland. Was there a, a straw that broke the camel's back where you said, this is enough, I'm getting out of here? What was it that prompted your decision that it was time to leave? Yes, um, we've wanted to leave for quite some time. Uh, I mean, with my wife, we've we've been talking about it for several years, actually, right after the economic collapse. I mean, we've been talking about that. So, and things always getting worse. But the thing that, as you say, broke the the camel's back was after uh, the president's uh, re-election, Cristina Kirchner's re-election, um, we we knew that there was going to be a few things that uh, were going to be getting even worse than before because that was her final term. There was no way in which she would be uh, staying in government anymore. So right after she got reelected, she would be doing all the things she hadn't done, she she hadn't dared do before that. And I mean that was said and done. Right after the reelection, we saw uh, a lot of restriction in terms of, of a currency exchange. The, they basically banned the, the purchase of foreign currency in many ways. You have to, I mean, officially speaking, it's still legal for you to do so, but you have to earn more than a certain amount of money, and then you have to ask for authorization, and then only then they decide to see how much they allow you to exchange. So maybe, a, I mean, for maybe for a, a lawyer, they just say, yeah, you can exchange a, a $100 or or $1,000 if you have a, a big company or something like that. And it's only for for certain things. So all these things were, were showing me that there was uh, an important restriction of liberties. And then there was a problem with uh, freedom of press. The press was being uh, you know, constantly censored all the time, and they had uh, the government had started buying more and more companies in terms of, of radio, press, TV, and there were just a couple of companies left that they're still uh, the only two uh, media outlets that are uh, independent and not owned by the government in one way or another, directly or indirectly. So w- when you see freedom of press being uh, attacked that way, that's, that's scary. That's very concerning. I also had a, a, a friend of, of mine that was in, in my gun club that had been killed during a, a home invasion. So all those things combined made us you know, decide to leave. Well, speaking of relocation in general, um, what, are the kind of, what are some <laughs> of the signs that people should be looking for in their own country if they're, if they're considering relocating, and what are the, some of the steps um, that people should take uh, if that's what they're planning on doing eventually? I think it's a very good idea to look at, at these uh, things ahead of time. Um, but it also depends on where it is that you are. For example, in the, Uni- in the United States, there's actually a good case for if you have to leave, maybe you leave within the United States to a different state because uh, it's already as big as it is, almost like each state works like a little country on its own right. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's a good idea to do this exercise. If I'm living in Florida and for whatever reason I have to leave here, where would I be going? Would I be going to Texas? Do I know anyone there? Do I have a friend's family there that could take me in for some time until I find a job or something? until I get back on my feet. That's the kind of mental exercise that I suggest doing. Um, now, some, uh, some folks in the survival community will look at, uh, okay, where do I have 
military bases, nuclear targets, right? They, would, uh, they want to avoid those things. They want to avoid population. I have a different approach to things. I look at cost of living, quality of life, crime, medical care, if it's any good, if there's a, a good amount of employment. All those things are realistically more, more practical and more important to daily basis. Uh, and if you're just worrying about a potential nuclear targets, you're just preparing yourself in case of a nuclear war, which, <laughs> you know, as, as weird as, as things are these days, it, it's kind of still not the most, not the thing that worries me the most. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I much rather have a, a good quality of life and, and a good a cost of living, safety, good schools for my kids. Those are things that I, I look at. And some some of the countries that I was really considering, I was I was honestly considering the United States. I really like U.S. Uh, I think it's a great place to live. Uh, in spite of the problems, of course, I think it still has a lot of things going for it, especially in terms of of, of uh, personal liberties and freedom. Still, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic option. I really like Texas. Still do. Uh, then you have you know countries like uh, Australia and New Zealand that do have their uh, their issues, their problems, but are also good places to live in with fantastic quality of life. And these would be countries, especially being in the, in the southern hemisphere, those would be particularly good countries in case of, in case of a of a worst case scenario of a you know of, of a, a military conflict between the United States and Russia. You know something a little bit more more far fetched. Uh, if it got t- if it got down to that, maybe. Australia, New Zealand, those would be some of the options that I would keep in mind. But then you have uh, Canada. You have uh, where I am now in in, in Ireland is a a good place to live as well. Yeah. On on the subject of um, where where a good place to live is, uh, do you see any countries these days as you're reading the news or uh, or looking at the signs uh, that say, oh, um, Fernando, the, the, this really reminds me of uh, the things that were happening in Argentina shortly before uh, the shit hit the fan. Um, do you have you gotten any impressions recently that uh, that make you uh, concerned that uh, another country <laughs> in South America or even in the West uh, is close to or on the way to? Um, experiencing something similar? I think there's some very concerning things happening in many places, uh, even in the United States. There's there's many of these things, uh, especially the, the way in which poverty is slowly... I mean, you guys are all, already there. You guys live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you notice it more or not, uh, but um, I think it's safe to say that poverty, little by little, has been creeping in and affecting society. And... Maybe not. You know what? Because sometimes, and this is something that I noticed in Argentina, uh, folks that came to Argentina, left, and then came back maybe two, three years later, they would just drop by and say, man, this has really gone down the drain. This is really getting worse. And for us that were that we were there, you wouldn't maybe notice it as much, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something that you notice in some parts in the United States where... You, you definitely do see more poverty than before. Mm-hmm. You, de- you definitely do see a loss of quality of life. You know, the, the standards of living have decreased quite a bit in many places. 
and that's that's concerning. Maybe not so as to make any drastic decisions, but it's something to keep in mind and keep an open mind about. You know, I don't know. If I was, I'll just give you an example. If I'm in the United States and I see things slowly getting worse, and I'm I'm really concerned about how things are going to be in the future. You know, maybe Canada is not that much of a bad a bad option. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be ideal by any means, but that's the kind of thing that you have to start thinking about. So as to not be completely caught by surprise if there's ever uh, uh, a significant event that really drops uh, the, the quality of life over there and makes, uh, makes it a lot more dangerous to live in than before, maybe you just leave. I mean, I know Americans that have left because they just didn't like it anymore the way things were already there. And I talked with them, and they told me, I'm actually, I know some that are living here where I am now, and yeah, they will tell me uh, that they didn't like living in the United States anymore, and it was uh, not for them anymore, because it was it was too dangerous, it was, uh, you know, schools were just, just awful, and and they, they say, well, you drive around here, you don't see what you see in the United States, and, and they're right, I cannot deny that here you don't have the same poverty that you have over there. Even though I do like, because of personal uh, matters, because of personal preferences, I do like certain things uh, of the American way of living that maybe for our folks it's not nearly as important. Mm-hmm. Well, so what, what, what are the practicalities about uh, moving to another country? Because I think for a lot of people, they just uh, it's they just don't see it as an option. Um, I mean, can can people just... Right. Like up and get out of their country. I mean, there's the issue of like citizenship or you know getting some kind yeah. of extended visa. You know how? Well, how... well first of all, I, I don't think anyone should rush into something like this. Yeah. Well, especially not if you are in the United States. And I've said this many times. If I was in the United States myself, I wouldn't be leaving. You know, because mm-hmm. in spite of in spite of the of the greater poverty than before and and the. And the noticeable, to some extent, loss of quality of life and things being worse than they used to, they're still pretty good. And at least to me, it's still the place to to be in. So even though it's not what it used to be, and even though there has been a a little bit of going downhill, I wouldn't be leaving the United States myself. Maybe if I'm in a state that is doing particularly bad, as I said before, I would be considering relocating within the United States to a better state, or at least one that is I consider uh, more suited to what I'm to what I'm looking for. Or if the or if there's a big economic collapse. I mean, uh, from a lot of the stuff that we read and um, you know put on our our news website zot.net. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of you know it's hard to to deal with predictions, but a lot of people seeing that as a very real possibility that the you know the U.S. dollar could tank, and who knows the U.S. could be seeing a you know a much worse situation than uh, yeah. than it is currently. Yes, uh, it could perfect. It could just be the case, and maybe some states would be better off. I mean, mm-hmm. Texas ha- has been doing pretty well compared to some of. Uh, then you have, uh, you know, you have different states that are doing better uh, than than others mm-hmm. uh, through the crisis. So, the the way in which you would end up leaving the country entirely is if it really is no longer an option to stay there anymore. It has to be something particularly bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the United States. It's not Argentina, right? Mm-hmm. But if you have to do it, then then you just yeah, you, you have your passport and you look at some of the options that you have. One of the things I always uh, tell people in in my in my website is 
is to get a passport. <laughs> lots of guys, lots of Americans don't have a passport, and they, they will sell it. They will tell you, I'm not planning on going anywhere. I'm in the best place on the planet. We have everything here. Why would I want to travel anywhere else? Well, maybe you know that's that's a good point. Maybe if they don't feel the need to do so, but still, I do recommend everyone to have a passport. And if you have the option of getting a second citizenship, lots of guys in the United States have the option of getting European citizenship because of their uh, Irish or Italian or Spanish uh, ancestry. Lots of folks do have that option. If you have a, uh, a grandparent that comes from one of these countries, most likely you can do that. It does take several years, but it can actually be done. Now, it's one of those things that you get it and you pass it over to your kids and your grandkids. And you simply don't know what's going to be happening 10, 20, let alone 30 years down the road. There's no way of, of knowing that. So no matter how much you're not planning on leaving, that's a great tool to have. And top of my head, I can think of, of several things. It's not just about traveling with, with a, another passport. Many, and keep in mind, in many parts of the world, the American passport can actually get you in trouble, not mm-hmm. the other way around. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's, it has a, a, a negative connotation and you, you just don't know who you're coming across, having another passport can be a valuable option. Uh, with, with a European passport, you can basically go into a European country and settle as a, as a citizen. Mm-hmm. If you have, uh, if you have a, a surgery that costs 100000 bucks in the United States and you have a European passport, you can go to your, to your country in Europe and get surgery for basically for free. Mm-hmm. These are all things that people don't think about in in terms of education. With the cost of of college in the United States right now, with a European passport, you can go and study in Trinity University in Dublin and costing it a third of what it costs you to study in the U.S. None of these things are definite. It's just little options or or actually big ones uh, that you have. All these tools that you may end up using or not, but... Having them is definitely an advantage. Well, in your in your recent video just from earlier this month, uh, I think it was twelve lessons learned from the Ukraine crisis. Uh, you mentioned something similar, uh, some some similar points. You also mentioned on the topic of passports, um, just the importance of having just any form of identification on you in a specifically in a conflict zone like that. Could you talk some more about yeah. Um, yeah, things like that to take care of in a conflict zone? Well, the, the passport is also the most well-recognized form of identification. And again, some folks will say, I don't have to have an ID because, of, because I'm a free person. And okay, that's all fantastic, but sometimes you do need it. If you're going if, if to be leaving your state, moving somewhere else, and, and, and because of whatever reason you lost everything, because of a natural disaster, a, a widespread nat- natural disaster in your hometown, in your, in your state. And you have to start over elsewhere. Your passport is your, is your best form of, idea, uh, of ID for, for everything from, from renting a, a, a place to live in, from renting a, an apartment, a house to live in, for finding work, for opening a new bank account. So it's a, a great uh, piece of ID as, uh, as well. In the case of Ukraine, folks going through the checkpoints, if you fail to show your idea, you're, you're in a huge uh, world of, of hurt. And I know that that's Ukraine, and it all seems far away, right? You think, okay, that's, that's Ukraine, Russia invading and such. Uh, but at the same time, I do have friends that have, actually I have a, a friend that was in, 
helping during during Katrina, and he got stopped in a checkpoint in U.S. soil, and he was a a, a soldier himself, and he still got his his firearms taken away from him. So, all these things that seem to happen only in other places, sometimes they do happen in home as well. You know, and in the case of Ukraine, some of the things that people were saying is. Uh, they, these are guys that are Ukrainians and they'd love to go to uh, a European country, but because they don't have that passport, because they don't have that second citizenship that I was talking about, they cannot do that because these neighboring countries are not allowing them in. Now, if, if that same guy had that second citizenship, if that guy had uh, another nationality, he could just walk in like any other citizen. Mm-hmm. One of the things you uh, mentioned I guess it would be on your one of your blog pages was survival in the Ukraine the the Ukrainian people um that you know possibly could apply to the United States if we got into you know kind of similar uh scenarios and you said things like avoid being in protest marches um don't get into clashes um they might you know don't uh, show up on a camera because they might remember your face um your attitudes, the kind of clothing you wore, any insignias, um, weapons and GPS things. Could you kind of round that out for us? Yeah, well, that's, uh, of course, much more of, of a problem in a place like, like Ukraine where you actually have an invading force that has taken control of uh, of a territory and such, and they're specifically looking, of course, for, for, uh, for spies, for infiltrators and such on both sides. Uh, but a lot of those same uh, in, in pieces of advice work in U.S. as well, and it works in Argentina as well during its period of time, just still does. When you are uh, participating in some of these, in, in some of these clashes, uh, take a look at, at Ferguson, for example. Uh, some people may, strong, may feel strongly one way or the other. It doesn't really matter. The thing is that if you start participating in these things, you are... More likely to get yourself in trouble. Now, of course, you have a freedom of expression, and this may sound uh, a little bit like, oh, well, but but I want to show my my frustration with this or that, or I want to make my, my voice heard. Now, th- that's all great, but from a practical perspective, from a practical point of view, which is the kind of thing that I do, it's always better not to get uh, involved in it. You know, mm-hmm. people that get killed in in Venezuela. You know, the, what was a, the, a model, uh, um, I think she was like, like a 25-year-old something uh, model that was uh, a well-recognized face, and she was participating visibly in the, in, in the protest against the government. She shows up with a bullet in the head. They just take care of her. You know, they, they just eliminate her from the picture. And the more visible you are, the more likely you are to get yourself in trouble when you're in a, involved in a conflict. Now, uh, of course, uh, you you still have you, your ideologies. You want to make those uh, heard, but I, I think it's a good uh, uh, a good idea to uh, be very cautious about it. And also, in terms of what you're saying or what you're uh, sh- you're showing yourself in uh, as being part of and involved, because if you're participating, for example, in a in a protest uh, against the government, right, or in favor of it, and all of a sudden something happens and you happen to be filmed or is somehow associated with someone that has a little bit more of a of a of a darker background than yours, you know that's something that's the kind of thing that can end up getting you in trouble as well. Mm-hmm. Well, recently, just just the other, I think it was earlier this month or late last month, 
there was a report released on uh, torture in East Ukraine, mm-hmm. and that scenario cropped right up where a lot of people who in Western Ukraine who had been either protesting against the government or just right. making offhand comments, they were targeted, arrested, tortured, and then you know eventually set free and and uh, sent back to the east in a, in one of the prisoner exchanges. But that's it's a very real thing, and it's it's just a matter of you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You might say something, someone might remember it. You get photographed, and then you know people like Absolutely. that will come after you. I mean, it, it, it's, it's the kind of thing that has happened before in in Argentina during the the dictatorship during the dirty war in in the in the seventies in Argentina. If you just dressed like a hippie, I mean, while in the United States maybe the cops were were going after hippies or, or beating them up a little bit or something like that, about being a bit a bit rough with them in Argentina. If you dressed like a hippie during the seventies, you went into one of these cars. And you were never seen again. You just went missing, mm. you know, because you were one of these. I mean, it was the anti-communist uh, regime. They were looking for communists. And if you even smelled like a communist, uh, according to their own uh, view of things, you you just disappeared. I mean, uh, people have died because of being in the wrong phone book. You know, if they if they maybe took one of these guys and they started torturing him, I mean. When someone is being tortured, they start saying absolutely everything, and even more, just to make it stop. Mm-hmm. So even if they if they really had nothing to do with any um, uh, any um, activity illegal or anti-government activity, even if they were completely innocent, they start talking and making up stuff. And they mention their neighbors, they mention their friends, they mention anyone so as to make it stop. Or maybe they just found you in his in his notebook, you know, in his phone book. You were just there, and they just picked you up. And as you were mentioning, in the case of Ukraine, they have all, all the footage. They film everything. They watch the news like everyone else. They have actually a lot of people following that. Mm-hmm. And they start taking note of who's who, the faces, the names. They put things together, and they, they start going after those. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a good idea to just stay away from problems and trouble whenever possible. Keep a low profile. Absolutely, yes. So, um, something that Harrison said a little earlier, uh, you know, there's a lot of information out there that uh, points to the possibility here in the U.S. of um, us going into hyperinflation, of uh, of the dollar uh, falling in, in value, and um, certain uh, events triggering uh, a similar situation as uh, you experienced in Argentina. Uh, Do you think it would look any different if it happened here to that extreme? Do you think um, the concerns would be less or or more if if such a situation were to occur in the U.S. or any other Western or European nation for that matter? I think in the case of the United States, I I see how it could be that you start seeing more of a, uh, a decline of the value of the dollar little by little, but most of all, uh, um, more poverty spreading mm-hmm. and more of this middle class becoming poor, you know? And it's, especially when it's very slow, it's not nearly as noticeable. But all of a sudden, people start realizing that they can afford less and less and less and less, and their quality of living starts dropping and dropping, and as years go by, one day they look back and say, what the hell happened here? 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did we end up here? Why is it that we're living this way when 10 years ago everything was so different? Right. You know? And it's, it's it's all these tiny things. You know, I, I learned a lot of things from, from Argentina in the way in which maybe you keep buying the same cereal that you buy today. And you're buying that same cereal five years from now, but all of a sudden you read the ingredients and the amount of actual cereal in there has dropped a lot. It's full of, you know, what used to be a nutritional value food is, you know, has been reduced 50%. Maybe the product has gone up in price two or three times and the actual good food content has been drastically reduced or, or products getting smaller. That's one of the, the hidden inflation things that I sometimes made, made reference to. Little by little, you start becoming a little bit more poor and it's not always as, as noticeable. I think that one of the things that people can do so as to prepare for that is start now in terms of being very conscious about uh, what they spend money on and being being very conservative about it. I, I know that some people don't think that's very American in terms of, uh, of, of the consumption. You know, uh, I'm American, I want to buy stuff, and I should be able to buy stuff. That, that's all great, but, but stuff is not your life. You know, there's more important things in life than just buying stuff or buying the latest cell phone. So I think it's a very important to start budgeting much better, much, much better than people are used to. Mm-hmm. Buying less stuff. You don't need half of the stuff that you're buying. Saving the money and, and investing in something that can be useful later on, that's a, a good piece of advice. That sounds like um, one of the, the phrases that I picked up off of your website was uh, you, you had a, a thing, when to, when to leave, what to bring, how to prepare, and common mistakes. Now, what you were, you were just talking about sounds like uh, a common mistake. Do you have other samples that you could give us? Well, in, in terms of, of the, the prepper community, again, is they focus so much on buying stuff. You know, they, they buy this and that uh, because uh, this is going to be worth its weight. In, this is a, a very common phrase. Uh, this is going to be worth its weight in gold after the end of the world or after <laughs> the collapse. This is going to be a, you know, they, they buy, uh, you know, five generators. And yeah, because this is going to be, Nothing's going to be worth its weight in gold. The only thing worth worth its weight in gold is actual gold. That's the only thing that is worth its weight in gold. So instead of buying all these things, or they buy tools, for example, you know, they, yeah, or I, I buy you know, surplus camping stuff or surplus camping uh, or a military surplus equipment because this is going to be worth a lot when everyone is hungry and starving. If everyone is starving, hungry and starving, they're going to be really taking care of their budget and not spending a buck on anything. You know, all this stuff that you think you're going to be selling to someone after the end of the world and, and whatnot, you're not going to be selling it to anyone. No one's going to be buying it. Everyone's going to be on a very tight budget and saving as much as they can. Any other things that people tend to do wrong? I think it's a, a, a matter of being balanced and not not overdoing and not get being scared. There's a lot of fear and fear mongering in in general, and it's understandable that people are are worried and and frightened by some of these these events. And and the more you start preparing and learning about what could go wrong, it's understandable that you get a little bit scared. <laughs> now, life does go on. You know, your your life will go on. It's just a matter of being well prepared so as to uh, go through it as best as possible. But 
uh, one of the things they can definitely tell you is that you become negative, you're not going to be making it through. I mean, uh, some people ended up killing themselves because of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. In Argentina and anywhere else where you look, when people have to go through very tough times, some of them just give up, and they give up by just doing that. In, in our cases, they give up. Maybe they don't kill themselves, but depression, you know, the, depression gets the best of them, and it's it's very hard to fight through that. Now, at the same time, you have guys that are so dark about preparedness. You know, the, the prepper, the, the typical doomsday prepper, the guy that, yeah, the world is always going to be ending because of this and that. Russia's going to be nuking us and the dollar's going to be exploding and, you know, all these horrible things. And many times, and I get feedback from people all the time, many times their family get tired of it and they just get divorced. Their kids don't talk to them anymore because they are so depressing to even be around. You have to be very positive. I think that's, that's essential, especially for dealing with, with stuff like this. You have to be very positive. Because if not, you're not going to be making it with your family, you're not going to be finding a job, and you're not going to be able to function in general. Well, Fernando, uh, this was a, a terrific show today. And um, unless there were other points that uh, you felt or feel might round out uh, the program, um, and well, let me just ask, is, is there any... Any other major pieces of of looking at preparedness and and survival that um, that we may not have discussed today? Uh, I think we we had a good <laughs> a good conversation back and forth and such. Uh, you know, just keep a level head, uh, analyze realistically your 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 risk, make a, a good risk assessment in terms of what's likely to happen in terms of your location. You know, sometimes it's a it's a matter of maybe I'm, I'm living in, in the West Coast. And yeah, sure, uh, pretty much a, an earthquake is at some point unavoidable in a few years, right? So that's something that I have to be uh, keeping in mind. Where would I go if, if the big one finally hits? If I'm in a, in a place that's known for, for having floods or storms, snowstorms, the things that you know are likely to happen, of course prepare for that first. Make a, a, a realistic uh, assessment of yourself, where you are physically in terms of your if you're shape, if you need to lose weight, there's no better moment to start than right now. If you need to improve your your financial situation, maybe find a, a better job, start saving more than you were used to, budget better than you're doing now, stop wasting money, you know, have the supplies that we always talk about, that we all know, you know, you do need those stuff. You do need the, the food, water, long-term food storage, and food is something that you can never go wrong with because you're going to be using it anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm of the idea of, sto of storing what you actually use. You know, I eat lots of uh, of rice, veg vegetables, all that stuff. That's what I store. That's what I actually eat. And you know, big surprise is some of the the healthiest stuff that you could possibly eat is you know boiled basmati rice with a, a little bit of vegetables, eating a little little than than before. You don't have to stuff yourself full of uh, full of meat just mm -hmm. to be healthy. And, that's uh, perfectly doable, and you're talking about food that you can store for very, very little money. Rice is <laughs> as cheap as it could possibly get. Beans, cheap as well. You know, many of these things are affordable, so you're, you're stocking up for, 
for in case of an emergency, you're saving money and you're staying in good in good shape. And then just try to have a strong family. You know, be in good relationship with uh, with your extended family, friends, and especially in your relationship with your wife, your husband, your kids. Uh, the stronger you are, the more likely you're going to be getting it through and scratch if it ever happens. Well, Fernando, I had one more question. Uh, you mentioned it a bit earlier. I just wanted to get a bit more perspective on it. Um, the idea of banks and having money in the bank, because uh, I've read some discussions online, you know, on Internet forums, and yeah. some, with some people freaking out saying, oh, you know, should I take all my money out of the bank? You know, should I, or should I hide it, you know, all underneath my mattress? Um, what's, what's your take on that? Should people take all their money? Yeah. Well, I know it's, it's not take, because you mentioned leaving some money in the banks, but where's the balance in there? It's uh, yeah. I think it's important to have a, a balance in terms of how much you. I, I think that at minimum you want to have at in home at least a month worth of of expenses in cash. Mm-hmm. You know, some some folks just don't have anything, but mm-hmm. a month worth of expenses in cash. I think that's important in case you have to just you know in case there's problems with the banks. In terms of you have a a personal problem, even having the cash really helps a lot. You know, uh, I'm of the idea of that it's important to have cash in your wallet, quite a bit of it, all the time. You know, mm-hmm. and one of the things that a lot of people just uh, don't don't look into because it sounds maybe a little bit too wild or something is having an offshore account as well. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a, an offshore bank account, that means that if something like you know the stuff you see in Greece, Cyprus, even Ukraine, or uh, something that could you know even it happened in the United States as well. But if you have an offshore account, you can send money back and forth and uh, at least move. You know. If I have a, an offshore account and I see the the, the banking um, sector is struggling or being in in a, in a complicated situation in the United States, maybe I can send half of the money they have in the bank uh, outside just in case. And if and if something does happen, I I save half my savings. I didn't lose all of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And depending on how bad you see the situation going, you move you move around more or less. But you this is the kind of thing that you do need that open bank account for. Now, I know that it's a little bit more difficult for people in the United States because uh, banks in other countries yeah. try to run away from, from Americans because it's complicated, you know. Mm-hmm. And here is where that second citizenship that we were talking about before really does come in very, very handy. You know, it's much easier if, you're, if you have another citizenship to open it. But it's not impossible to open, even if you... Even for an American with just an American passport, with American citizenship, it's not impossible to open another account. And there's really nothing strange or illegal about it. Some people freak out about it. It's perfectly legal and there's nothing wrong with it. So there's really no reason not to do it. It's just about having more options. How much money should you keep it? You know, it's really personal. I would really have, at least, as I said, a month worth of expenses in cash, maybe a bit more. You know, actually, if, if possible, a bit more in in terms of, of precious metals as well. You know, ten percent, fifteen percent in precious metals and gold. You know, that's that's something that that uh, could save you if things really get bad. And, and then our investments, depending on how much money you have. You know, some folks don't have a lot of money anyway, so why have it in the bank if if I have very little of it? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, on that subject, that reminded me of uh, another um, question that folks may have, and that is, um, what if they have debt? Uh, what what should one do 
if they owe money to credit cards or uh, some other right. um, yeah, institution and, and the economy is going kaflui, for instance? What, what would be the best uh, approach to that sort of situation? Well, the, the standard approach to debt, of course, is that it's never good, right? That's, that's what we've always been told. And, and it, it is true. I mean, if I'm American right now and I have debt, I have credit card debt, and it's you know it's killing my it's killing me it's taking money away from me and it's being completely wasted and it is true that you have to get rid of that debt as soon as you can that's the, the standard answer and that's correct but as the other side of things the, the truth is that what I've seen in, in, in Argentina and what happens in, in other places when the economy does tank is that some people that had a lot of debt actually benefit a lot from it you know mm-hmm. it, Someone that, that had $100,000 in debt in Argentina when the economy collapses and all those debts are being turned to pesos, suddenly that guy has something worth $100,000 and he's only paying back one-third of it in terms of the reconverted debt to a new currency mm-hmm. or to a new value of the currency. So if the economy is going is to be going to hell, then yeah, sure, your, your debt is going to be is taking quite a bit of a hit and shrinking a lot. Now that's a, a very uh, a very risky gamble to play. I wouldn't recommend anyone gambling on the economy tanking and and the debt becoming uh, you know much much less than it used to be. But it, it is true that sometimes that's that's what ends up happening. So uh, yeah, I would definitely try to take care of, of whatever debt you have, especially credit card debt that's monthly uh, eating out on your savings. Mm-hmm. That's something I try to take care of as, as quickly as possible. In the United States, of course, we have the dollar and we're on a dollar standard. So in, right. if it's devalued, we don't really get a, <laughs> a peso profit here. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? If I'm going to be really thinking of a worst case scenario, and I, I understand that this is um, this is this is a very unlikely situation. But if we want to go down that way in terms of what, how it would go down an Argentina collapse in the United States, what they would end up doing is the following. They would just start, if the, if the dollar suddenly gets dropped by China and everyone else, I mean, if, if the dollar does collapse, you know, if it does collapse, mm-hmm. they will have a, a new dollar or, you know, any other name they want to call it, and it's going to be... Uh, the the new currency again. You will have the the old dollar and the new dollar, and and the new dollar is, is going to be the one that you're supposed to move towards to, and the old one is going to be devaluated and dropped little by little or or a lot all of a sudden. Uh, a very unlikely situation, but if it does happen, probably would happen in, along those lines. The Amero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but you know. Any way you want to call it, uh, there's going to be euros, there's going to be British pounds or whatever, and those will definitely be in high regard in comparison to the, to the currency that just dropped like a rock. Right, because everyone's going to be desperate to cling on Find to... Find something stable. And, yeah. you know, and most of all, you know, keeping it very simple and safe, precious metals, those will not drop. If, if the dollar falls... It falls to pieces. The, the, whatever you have in gold and silver, that's going to be is, is solid as gold, solid as it gets. Worth its weight in gold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, 
Uh, this is just a terrific discussion, Fernando. I, I really, we all really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us today. Um, you have a, hard, a lot of hard-won knowledge and experience that uh, that's an, invaluable, and um, I hope uh, a lot of people have tuned into to it today and will tune in. Um, your book, The Modern Survival Manual, Surviving the Economic Collapse, just a terrific read. Okay. Uh, you, you've also written uh, Bugging Out and Relocating, When Staying is Not an Option. They're both available on Amazon. I haven't read that one yet, but uh, look forward to reading it. Um, your blog, uh, forfall.blogspot.com, a lot of interesting information. You, it looks uh, like actually you're... it's my my website is themodernsurvivalist.com. It's like the the nicer version of of my whole website. Okay, thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for that. And um, you know, I, I hope we can invite you on again sometime to talk about various situations we're seeing in developments and uh, to hear your insights on uh, on developments. Absolutely. Whenever you want, it's it's great talking with you, and uh, I really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Fernando. Thank you. Thanks. thanks. All right. Have a nice night. You too. Take care. Bye bye. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, a lot of great information there, and I really like Fernando's approach. He's very practical. Common sense really is what most of this stuff comes down to, and that's probably a commodity that's also worth its weight in gold because uh, not many people seem to have it these yeah, days. And it's good that he had actual first-hand experience of actually going through an economic collapse. There's many preppers or survivalists who are preparing for the future, but they haven't actually gone through certain mm -hmm. situations themselves. So I appreciate Fernando for that. I just I just had a few comments on on some of the things that Fernando was talking about. Like uh, first of all, the importance of just being healthy, and that's why I will recommend listening regularly to the Health and Wellness Show. We actually talked about uh, survival from a medical perspective on our show last Monday. So if uh, you guys are interested, you can check that out. We talked a lot about prepping our diets and getting ourselves into good shape in order to prepare for the future, uh, getting off any medications because that's going to be hard to get, and just in general getting healthier in preparation for the future. Well, and like Fernando said, if you have to lose weight, I mean, all of us here are on the ketogenic diet, and that's probably the quickest and easiest way to lose weight in a sense. I mean, some people don't, when they're, if they're not doing it, they see it as just a huge task. Oh my God, ketogenic diet, what am I going to do? I can't do it. Can't go without my bread. But when you when you actually do it, I mean, I love it. Yeah. And it's a lot cheaper than buying a bunch of uh, vegetables that go bad in your refrigerator like mine always did. Fruits that went bad in my refrigerator and cereal is expensive. <laughs> You I mean, meat can be expensive, but yeah. you, you eat a little bit of it and you eat a lot of fat, so you're not really that hungry. So you end up saving money in the long run. And something he mentions in his book is how, you know, along with economic collapse uh, follows uh, epidemics and sickness. And, you know, we, we've learned about the ketogenic diet that you can uh, boost your immunity system to many illnesses, um, the fat that you're uh, 
consuming on the diet is going to protect your cells and uh, and keep you healthy in ways that um, eating a lot of carbs won't. Well, I also just liked coming back to the common sense. Um, just some of the basic advice that Fernando was giving, not related to like not directly related to the so-called prepping. You know, buying a whole bunch of stuff, stocking up, but just you know, one being a good person, being a good neighbor, establishing just meaningful relationships with people in order to i mean that that will help you not only yourself personally but the community around you and no matter what happens and it just makes for a more fulfilling life no matter what happens so there's that i mean and and the whole thing about just not freaking out because that's a that's a real that's one of the big things like with the bank issue that i asked about you know, what should I do? You know, should I just take all my money out of my bank? What am I going to do? Well, you know, just look at it, look at it as a problem and try to solve it. Okay, well, I, you know, I need a bank account because I have to pay certain bills through my bank. So I keep some money in there. I take some out and I keep some in cash, however much I can. Maybe I, if I've got the, the extra funds, I can invest in some precious metals. I mean, you just got to look at this thing, all these things case by case and as they come up and, and deal with them because it won't, it won't help you. And it won't help those around you if you're freaking out. I mean, like he was saying, some of these prepper guys gets to the point where their families don't even want to be around them because they just, you know, because <laughs> they're freaking out all the time and just being paranoid. And so, yeah. And I mean, on, on the subject of uh, dealing with stress, I thought it was great that he mentioned that. And, you know, obviously, if you can be proactive about uh, managing stress, um, uh, it's going to be a benefit to you when things really get stressful. Um, so if, if there are practices, uh, for instance, a uh, number of us, um, practice a, uh, technique called Eru Olas, um, and, uh, that's going to help, um, it's going to help you breathe easier. It's going to help your thinking. It's going to help you manage emotions in difficult times. And, uh, and it's a very kind of forward looking way to, uh, condition yourself and your thinking um, for for when times uh, take a turn for the worst. Should they? Yeah, because when you're when you're active all the time, just um, and stressing about stuff, just taking that time, like doing some meditation, getting out of all of that for a time, actually strengthens you. It gives you a source of energy and a source of will and. Um, and knowledge and just the ability to to face these situations that you couldn't couldn't have before so it may sound counterintuitive that all this stuff is happening uh, i've got all this stuff to worry about i just need to do more and more well actually it it helps to just kind of forget about all that for just a little bit take some time for yourself relax and that just enables you to deal with these situations so much more so yeah, that's a good point too. And since we usually talk about politics, I just wanted to bring up something. <laughs> you know, we can't know what's going to happen in the future, but um, there have been several developments. You know, well over the past years, but more. It's, it seems they're just um, coming faster and faster in this past month. For example, with uh, that new the new Chinese bank, the AIIB. Um, new new um like alliances and economic relationships between countries uh the idea that who knows maybe Russia will en end up 
backing up the the ruble with gold. I mean, if that case, maybe it would be worthwhile to you know buy some rubles and <laughs> <laughs> like like they were doing in Argentina with the dollar. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, we'll just have to wait and see how that turns out. That would be a Russian roublet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's that's all from us today. So thank you again to Fernando for coming on the show. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week with another show. It's going to be a surprise because we don't know what it's going to be yet. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone take care, and we'll see you next week. Bye, gentlemen.